My name is Alyssa. And I'm Emily. And you're listening to Slash and Slay, a horror podcast. Hello, everyone. Hi. Welcome to another episode, a third episode filming. Third episode filming. Mm Mm-hmm. I'm just going to repeat everything you say for the whole episode. <laughs> oh, that'll be so good. <laughs> You'll love that, right? <laughs> yeah. Emily. Yes. What are we talking about today? What are we talking about today? See, I told you I'm just going <laughs> to Please don't. <laughs> today, I'm actually really excited. And this is a really for, fun. For real? Today you're excited? For this episode. For this episode? Oh, okay. I see what you're doing now. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I'm excited for this episode. Me too. It was actually really fun. It took a lot of research yes took a lot of brain power um which <laughs> we don't normally we don't do that most we just don't do that no um this was actually an idea that um my best friend uh gave me oh thank you yeah thank you friends bleep it <laughs> not, the same. <laughs> not the same um that's awesome i didn't know that yeah this and is a great idea i'm glad so <laughs> What is our idea? What is our idea, you might be asking? We are going to talk about true stories. Tales of horror. horror. <laughs> true tales of horror. True, true, true tales of horror. So basically, events that happened that have mm-hmm. inspired your favorite movies, maybe. Yeah. You know, when it says based on a true story. Right. Is it really based on a true story? Is it really true? We're going to get down yes. to business so we're gonna figure t- it out. We're each, um, we each kind of researched one. Yes. And we're going to talk about um, just the events that happened, the actual events that happened according to people that were really involved, and then kind of compare it to the movies that were made about it. Which... It was really fun, actually, to dive in. It reminded mm-hmm. me of my school research days, which yeah, brought which... me back. And I would love to do this again, honestly. Yeah, so if you guys like it, you'll have to let us know. And you have to recommend some true stories because, I mean, they're not like slim pickings out there, but. There's a lot. I mean, there's, there's a, a lot, lot. But, you know. Which ones do y'all want to see? Yeah, let us know. Um, Should we get started? Well, with... Yeah. Should I go we first? We to get into it. Yeah, you go first. Okay. So. I finally did it, guys. She finally did it. I finally did it. I watched The took Conjuring. Years and years. She watched took me The two Conjuring. Years and years. I watched The Conjuring. Okay. We'll talk about the movie at the like the end. I'm going to talk about the true story first, mm-hmm. and we'll talk about the movie adaptation. Mm-hmm. Then we'll give our thoughts and feelings. Okay. Yeah. Um. So, do you know anything about the true story um, of The Conjuring? Not really. I think I knew actually more about the second Conjuring. Okay. Um, the devil made me do it. No, that, is that the second that's one? like the fifth or sixth. Okay, I don't know. <laughs> I'm still new to this. The what second one conjuring? takes place like in England, and it's like a little girl. Is it the Enfield Poltergeist? Uh, maybe. Well, maybe we'll get into it. Maybe so, we will. You can't talk about the Conjuring without talking about Ed and Lorraine Warren. Right. They. We're both born in 1926 in Connecticut, actually the same town. They got married in 1945, and they had their only child, Judy, in 1951. Ed was actually a World War II veteran, and when he returned from the war, he attended art school at Yale. At their like art school in Yale, Ooh, which is exciting. I didn't even know Yale had an art. It's school. like their sub 
subsidiary is that what's called subsidiary art school their sister school but it's yale um they were traveling around new england to try and sell his art at the beginning of their marriage and when they had their young child um and they would visit a lot of haunted locations that would inspire his art Mm -hmm. which is very interesting it is interesting um I have yet to look up some of his art, though, and I want to see if it's spooky or what. (laughs) If it's spooky. It's it's actually spooky. Yeah. Um, He then became a self-professed demonologist, Um, and he was a devout Catholic his whole life. And then Lorraine came out as a clairvoyant and a medium. So, like, was she before they got married I, and decided to do that? They just were like, oh, it's I like, guess oh, we wait, are. I, I suddenly sudden, am. Yeah, all of a sudden. Actually, in 1952, they established the New England Society for Psychic Research, hmm. which is recognized as the oldest paranormal research organization in the country. I didn't know that. Now you do. No, I don't. Now you, you do. Thank you so much. Yeah, very cool. Um, and they, it, within their time of working for this or working with this organization, creating this um, society, they conducted over 100 investigations. And this include the Amityville House mm-hmm. and the Enfield Poltergeist. Which I didn't know that they had anything to do with the Amityville they House. They did. They did. They went to the Amityville House, hmm. which is crazy. Why weren't they in the Amityville movie? I don't know. <laughs> Or were they? I don't know. I don't know. I've never seen it. I've seen it a long time ago. I figured they would be, but now they're not. Okay. Well, they went there. I don't think it was like a big thing. I think they just went. They just like, like, yeah, here we are. to feel it out. Feel it out. Yeah. Um, Actually, their first major case was Annabelle, Mm -hmm. which you might be familiar with Annabelle. Annabelle, Everyone knows that. Have you seen Annabelle? Any of the Annabelle movies? No. Interesting. Aren't you supposed to watch that one first? Like... Yeah, there's like a... Because Annabelle happened before. Mm-hmm. And they made like an origin story, Annabelle, too. Annabelle... I don't remember what it's called. Isn't it Annabelle like... Annabelle... Annabelle... <laughs> Rebirth? Creation. Oh, Annabelle Creation. See? I always remember that because... <laughs> We're slow. Look over. I used to watch the BuzzFeed Unsolved, and they went to like a haunted thing or whatever, mm-hmm. and they kept making fun of Annabelle Creation. And they kept being like, Annabelle Creation, Annabelle Creation. Oh. So I never forgot it. But now I forgot but it. The one time it mattered. <laughs> the one time it mattered. Um, something I was interested to find out about Annabelle is she was a Raggedy Ann doll. Yeah. She wasn't really like that creepy. No. She was like just the real Annabelle, a Raggedy Ann doll. you see the picture of her, she doesn't look, she's a she raggedy doesn't look scary. No. She's literally. I get why I wanted a Raggedy Ann doll so bad. Did you? I think I had one. Okay. <laughs> My mom just wanted to buy me. I literally had three American Girl dolls. Do I did not need a raggedy. You want me to get one for your birthday, but you want one now? No, because it's Annabelle. Okay, never mind. What if I bought you Annabelle? I could never I afford it. I'm but... going to tell you where you can find it. Okay, tell me. I'll tell you. So actually, Annabelle was given as a gift to a nurse in 1970. So if we look at that um, timeline from 1952 when they started the mm-hmm. psychic and the New England Society for Psychic Research. They didn't get their first major case until 1970 with Annabelle. Mm -hmm. Um, It was reported that it would move on its own and even attacked one of the nurse's friends. Um, The Warrens claimed the doll was being controlled by an outside entity. So after they performed an exorcism, the Warrens took the doll and they said they were fine. The nurse was fine. No more Mm -hmm. creepy occurrences happened in the house. 
Um, but now you can see the doll at the Warren Occult Museum in Monroe, Connecticut. Which we should go. Sponsor no. us and we'll go to the Warren, what was it? Occult Museum. <laughs> <laughs> in Connecticut. Do we want to go to Connecticut? Yeah. Sure. It's really pretty there, I think. Maybe. Anyway. We'll find out. Um, so actually now their son-in-law, Tony Spera, and daughter, Judy Spera, continue to operate Nesper, for short, New England Society for Psychic Research. Oh. Um, and they continue to investigate the paranormal and go around and talk at different conferences. Um, Ed Warren died in 2006 and Lorraine died in 2019. Which I don't know why I thought they were still alive. They're dead. <laughs> you're actually dead thank you um so uh, i did see one fun quote from a skeptic um and that was from author horror author ray garton i don't have you ever read anything by him i haven't Mm-mm. um they worked with the, the warrants to write a nonfiction book about their cases um and it was loosely adapted into the 2009 film the haunting in connecticut um oh. and garton was very direct and he said of lorraine if she told me the sun would come up tomorrow morning, I'd get a second opinion. Hmm. So he sounds like he didn't a believe. A huge skeptic, her. yes. And of course, their whole history was littered with skeptics oh, and yeah. people not I believing mean, them. I think any any business of that kind is going to be because it yes. just Naturally. depends on what you believe. Naturally. No. I think it is a little fishy. They both you, all of a right. sudden. I was going to say, do you believe in that sort of thing? I don't know if you want to get into it. I love Teresa, the Long Island medium. Yes, me too. I would believe her. I want I would love to meet her and her tell me something. And like I would love I would love for someone who says they're a medium to tell me to like talk to me and say something about like someone who's passed of Convince mine. Convince me. Because I'm open. I'm open to it. I I'm open to it too. I've never personally witnessed it, but I am not completely against it just because I think if you believe in, like I do, believe in spirits and the great beyond, like you can't not believe that somebody could reach it, you know? And, you know, I have my intuitions that I feel all the time. Mm -hmm. Everybody has these feelings that are just kind of unexplained. And so I, I believe it now. This is a little, it's a little much to just all of a sudden be a demonologist right and uh, i mean he studied for it whatever that entails how do you really study for it i don't know he studied to be a demonologist however you do that by himself he taught himself self-taught self-taught, self-taught demonologist. demonologist and then she all of a sudden's in a uh, very strong medium. yeah whatever i'd be interested to know like did she have these kind of things when she was a kid like it'd be like if she had these things happen and stuff as she was a kid and she had talked about that but all of a sudden, if it's like, oh, all of a sudden, my husband's a demonologist, so I'm clairvoyant. Yeah. That is a little fishy. Yes. Um, their daughter actually does say on their website that she has had um, like certain feelings, mm-hmm. not to the extent her mother does, she says. Mm-hmm. But I think she would just be very empathetic. Yeah. Very so she's an empath. Yeah. And so she, a lot of the time she doesn't go on any of the. Mm-hmm. paranormal investigations or anything because she says that they freak her, freak out. her out yeah, yeah. so there's that hmm. i don't know if it's hereditary <laughs> <laughs> i don't know if it's hereditary we don't talk about that we don't talk, about, hereditary. Don't talk about that for emily's sake <sighs> don't talk about it um so moving on the other party of this 
story. Mm-hmm. The conjuring story. The conjuring story will. is the Perrin family. So the Perrin family moved in to the farmhouse in Harrisville, Rhode Island in 1971. So there's Roger and Carolyn, the mom and dad, and they have their five daughters, Andrea, Nancy, Christine, Cindy, and April. Um, when they first moved in, their dog, Sadie, refused to go in the house. Mm. That's suspicious. That's suspicious. That's so, so suspicious. If anybody's a medium, it's dogs. It dogs. Dogs and, and cats. cats. They, they know. They know. And children. Oh, gosh. Yeah. They're creepy. But especially dogs and cats. If It's always so freaky when a dog is just staring off in like the distance or like, sta- like in your house and staring at a corner. Yeah. When it's like, what, what are you looking at? What is there? What you looking at? Yeah. Yeah. It's freaky. Freaks me out. So Sadie wouldn't go in. Um, but initially there were no signs of spirits or spirits or hauntings, Mm -hmm. um, when they first moved in. Um, and then slowly things began missing, going out of place, um, no explanation. And the children were actually the first to start encountering these spirits. Mm. Um, they said most were harmless, but a few became resentful. The family would complain of smelling rotten flesh and feeling cold presences around them. Carolyn began researching the history of the home and discovered that the house had been in the same family for eight generations and many family members died under strange or horrible, horrific circumstances. Mm. How would you feel if you found something out like that? About my house? About your house. I'd be like, well, it was only like five years old when we moved in. So well, like, like, how bad could house it be? That you mo- <laughs> a house that you moved into. Or would you research it before? Would you be sure? I mean, this is obviously in the 70s. So like you can't just like Google stuff. But like, would you research your house before? I think if it was like an old house, yes. Yeah. For sure. Okay. Was it in Parks and Rec when they move into a abandoned doll factory? Oh, yeah. <laughs> that would be fun. <laughs> you would. I would. Um, yeah, very, very creepy. So after the fact, I guess you could have just researched it because she did. Oh, (laughs) so she should have done it before. Right. I mean, but I I just mean like it's easier now to just like Google Google, Google, yeah, as opposed to having to go into town, go to to drive into town, you have to go to the library, you have to look up the right You have to use the little thingy. Yeah. What's it called? I don't know. I worked there last year. I worked at a library last year. I don't remember. Um, anyway, several children drowned in the lake. Um, some were murdered. Some hung themselves in the attic. It was all children? No, just some children drowned in the lake. And then then other people people died, were murdered, etc. Um, and then it's, it's said that Bathsheba was the worst spirit. Bathsheba. Bathsheba was the worst spirit. Um, Andrea, the oldest child, theorized that she um, resented Carolyn for being the mistress of the house mm-hmm. and wanted the power for herself. Um, a lot of this actually research I did get from Andrea because she's done many. She actually has a three-volume self-published work. Dang. She has a lot to say. It's Make called, that money, girl. Yeah, for real. It's called House of Darkness, House of Light, if you want to look at it. But um, I got this mostly from interviews that she was in. Um Anyway, she she thought that Bathsheba was really jealous of Carolyn and she wanted to be the mom of the house. Uh, Bathsheba actually lived in the house in the 1800s. Um, allegedly, three of her four children died in childhood and she was charged with manslaughter of a baby. Mm. The charges were eventually dropped, but the locals believed she was a Satanist and sacrificing her children. 
Love that for Bathsheba. Yeah. <laughs> not really. <laughs> not really. We don't love that Bathsheba. <laughs> no. Um, the parent family eventually, eventually contact the Warrens to investigate. Um, and the Warrens were convinced that Bathsheba haunted and cursed anyone who lived in the house um, for control of the household. It was more of a, I want, I want to own this house. Mm-hmm. This is my house. Mm-hmm. Um, the Warrens ended up making several trips to the home um, and performed a seance where they believed Carolyn became possessed by a spirit. She began speaking in tongues and levitated off the ground. After this, the benevolent spirit, whatever it was, seemed to ease. But the family continued to see spirits throughout the remainder of their time in the house. And they actually didn't move out until 1980. Okay, so it couldn't have been that bad. They said they couldn't move out because they were too poor. Well, I get that. But why are you going to move into a 14 bedroom farmhouse if you're too poor right that was a huge house hmm suspicious you ask me also this is some more of the andrea parent account um so we'll we'll compare a little bit of the film now in the film it is a full-blown exorcism right Andrea says there was no exorcism like in the film it was a seance that went very wrong what they portrayed in the film was not what happened parents said it um, the seance was scarier. It was the most terrifying night of her life. It was scarier than the... I mean, the film was so scary, says, but like... That's what okay. she says. Okay. She says the Warrens arrived at the house with a medium, which I was like, wasn't she the medium? Hmm. Wasn't Lorraine the medium? Yeah. Okay, whatever. Okay. They conjured up a spirit who attacked their mother. Carolyn was picked up and thrown into another room. Her body slammed to the ground. Um, the Warrens believed Carolyn was possessed. Parents suspects the medium opened a door she couldn't close and her mother most likely had a concussion from the incident and took a long time to come out of the condition she was in. She was utterly drained and in pain. Hmm. And by her own account, Andrea says after the seance, there were no more major supernatural experiences in the home and they lived pretty happily most of the time in the house. Um, She also says, this is her quote, there is a scientific explanation to what happened. We simply haven't discovered it yet. Okay. So she doesn't really believe it was like a spirit. No. But then she also goes on to say, Perrin believed her family was meant to move into this house. And then one day they would share their story um, with the world. And it's not really whether the spirits existed. It's how we perceive them. Um, they taught me about life, death, and the afterlife. Maybe and it's like a, like m- the merging of paranormal and science, which is like, I think what a lot of people try to do. Mm-hmm. To, like, prove it, mm-hmm. you know? Well, she also says, like, she feels that she was just, like, at home with the spirits. She mm-hmm. says that when she goes back to the home, she still feels like, it's just home. And hmm, Does anyone live in the house? I don't know if anyone lives there right now. I'm sure. It's probably, like, a like a tourist. It might be a tourist, a tourist thing. Spot. Um, last quote from her I have is, um, I also, I always considered the house a portal, but not only a portal to the past, but to the future. Um, oh, I think I, I forgot to put this in here, but she did say um, that the ghost, one of the ghosts that she saw looked like her, but in the future. Interesting. Which I don't know how you would think that, but okay. Okay. Interesting. Okay, girl. Yeah. Go off. That's Andrea. She has a lot to say. The other girls don't really say anything, so yeah. I don't know if she's just gone along with it she's or a, what. She's just kind of like, um, you know, like in Haunting of Hill House, like 
the yes. the older brother yes. was like, I'm going to take advantage of this and write books about it. They actually did talk about a ghost that would haunt them. And it reminded me of the bent, net la- mm-hmm. the bent neck lady. Uh-huh. And I was like, what? Nasty. Scary. Gross. Um, But yeah, that's the true story Question. of The Conjuring. If you were a Bathsheba, <laughs> if you... No, if you <laughs> if you had died in a house that you owned, would you want to haunt it and be like, "This is my house, get out"? Would you try to kick people out of your house? Yeah, she reminds me of Beetlejuice. Yeah, would I would you, do that. You would. If I had the Beetlejuice house, yeah, if you had that like a so really cute. fancy mansion, and they were trying to ruin it. Now, if it was this, like, okay, I'm Bathsheba, right? Right, and you are. Like, there's just a little family coming mm-hmm. in my house. I'm like, all right. I think it's fine. It's fine. Maybe you I'll be jealous of the mother. Mm-hmm. Why? <laughs> I don't want to take care of five kids. Right. No. I mean, clearly, no clearly Bathsheba, like, didn't want her children. Yeah. What does she so want So why would she want? She just wants control. I guess so. She needs therapy. Hmm. Girl. I, th- I think most people's issue is control. It's my con- it's Oh, my yeah. Issue. Yeah. And it, it manifests in different ways for everybody. Mm-hmm. Control. It manifests in Bathsheba as a demon. <laughs> she let's manifests. Ho- let's hope it doesn't happen to you. I won't be keep, a demon. Keep going to therapy. A demon internally. My internal demons. <laughs> Just want control. Don't let them out. Don't let them out. Um, but yeah, that's a true story. Have you seen this movie, right? I have seen Many times? A few times. A few times. I've seen a, like all of them. I have not seen all of them. I went, and I don't think I will be saying. <laughs> I wouldn't, okay. especially what about like, Annabelle. Uh, okay, it's wait, the same vibe. Conjuring, the second one. Mm-hmm. Then there's, there's like the nun. The nun. There's uh, Annabelle. <laughs> Annabelle creation. Yeah. The curse of La Llorona. Mm-hmm. Then there's the devil made me do it. That's a recent one. Oh. Is oh. there a third? Did that one just go straight third? to HBO? No, because oh. I saw it in theaters on a date. With your current man? No. Not with my current No, okay. <laughs> oh, okay. Oh. Anyway, let's talk about the original movie, the first movie. This movie okay. came out in 2013. It was directed by Michael Chavez and James Wan. It is starring Patrick Wilson. <gasps> Patrick Wilson. Vera <laughs> <I love laughs> <him>. Farmiga. <laughs> Ron Livingston and Lily Taylor. There's also a little Joey King. Little oh, young yeah. Joey King. Mm-hmm. Did not expect that. Also, the uh, girl from Twilight who plays older Renezme is one of the oh, daughters. I didn't know that either. Yes. She's the one that sleepwalks. Good for her. Good for her. She's in Twilight and The Conjuring. She's she probably still living off those checks. Yeah. Um. Anyway, the Conjuring movie tells the horrifying true story of Ed and Lorraine Warren, world-renowned paranormal investigators who were called to help a family terrorized by a dark presence in a secluded farmhouse. Um, Lorraine was actually a consultant on the film and its sequels until her death in 2019. Hmm. Um, and there's actually a few paranormal experiences that happened. That happened during on filming? Set. Well, during filming on set. Like um, Vera claims to have felt a presence on set and even had mysterious claw marks on her skin and laptop. So the story was she got the call. She was on her laptop, just mm-hmm. typing away. She got the call asking for, she closed the laptop, gets the call. Do you want to play Lorraine Warren? Sure, yeah, of course I do. She hangs up the phone, 
opens her laptop and there's three slashes across her like laptop screen hmm. all of a sudden. And then on the first did she, day, did of she filming, provide pictures? Let's prove. I don't know. She probably was like, well, that's Come on, weird. Vera. Um, she did have claw marks on her skin too. Mm-hmm. Once. Um, that's what she she claims. She would also continuously wake up between three and four a.m. That is scary when that the happens. The devil, the witching hour. Mm-hmm. Um, Joey King also experienced strange and unexplainable bruises on her body, despite not being involved in any stunts. And many crew and cat. <laughs> we have a skeptic in the house. <laughs> um, <laughs> a lot of the cast and crew said there's no way she could have gotten these bruises. Anyway, um, the museum room in the in the movie, the set, the museum room would also have pieces missing and moving around because that's never happened in theater where people are like, where's my prop? <laughs> right. You know, don't touch other people's don't props. Don't touch other people's props. That is the rule. It's the number one rule. Um, actually, the, don't know. They don't know theater etiquette. They don't know theater etiquette. Mm-hmm. Is that your prop? Put it down. Annabelle, <laughs> get back in Annabelle. your case. That's not your I'm prop. Looking at you. That knife is not your prop. I'll start calling people out. <laughs> <laughs> um, when the actual family, the actual parent family, visited the set of the film, uh, one of the original parent girls told co-writer Chad Hayes with conviction that she had a feeling Ooh. something bad was going to happen that day. Glad she said it with conviction. Later that day, to the shock of production and family alike, the girl's now elderly mother, Carolyn fell and broke her hip so seriously that they had to operate and replace it that day. The family got the phone call right after the incident with Cindy and the witch. And when the rest of the family left to the set to tend to their mother, the poor woman's first reaction was that it was Bathsheba trying to do something to her. Well, wow. they also she was said um, whenever they saw the witch, you know, the witch that's on top of the wardrobe. Oh, it's like yeah. the first time you actually see one mm-hmm. that the... <laughs> I didn't even put it in because I was like, okay. But I'm going to tell you now. One of the parent girls was like, ah, that so, looks just like oh what I God. saw. Well, yeah, you described it. So, so yeah, I was like, like, that's what you thought you saw. Like, right. And they made it made it come to life. But also, like, sure. Would they put anything up there and be like, that is just exactly yeah. what I saw. I was like, okay. <laughs> so, um, I think, honestly, it is very much like in timeline and everything mm-hmm. like that. Very much like the movie and the true story. The true story. As it happened. Mm-hmm. Maybe a little theatrical with the exorcism. Obviously. But, I mean, they had The crawling under the house. Did right. that happen in real life? I don't know. There let's, was a lot of basement. Let's call up these girls. Call up Andrea. She'll tell you anything. Yeah, sounds like <laughs> She it. will tell you everything and anything. <laughs> um, Yeah. So what were your thoughts about the movie? I did not like it. <laughs> Hated that movie. It's a, it's a, it is a slash. It's a skip. Um, what did you hate about it? It was very, I don't know, I guess just possession movies aren't for me. It was very textbook possession. Mm-hmm. Um, it's my first real like possession movie, yeah. I guess, besides my best friend's exorcism, I guess. Yeah, I, um, I just feel like it was very like let's get you some jump scares in here oh yeah let's jump scare you all about jump scares and you know when they're coming too you know when they're coming let's try and do our very darndest to scare the pants off you Mm -hmm. is what they were doing the whole movie and i was like i laughed like at the the most like inappropriate moments i was laughing (laughs) 
it's it's really it's just really over dramatic it's really dramatic very dramatic i mean it's a sad story it was true it's horrible that yeah. this family had to go through it but they don't seem she's writing three volumes i don't know at the end of the day they don't seem that uh the mom did refuse to go to the house to go to the house but she still lived in it for 10 years after right hmm i would have done it i would have i don't care how much debt i have to be in if you're like yeah if you're like experiencing stuff like that in your house if i was possessed in my home and you're constantly in fear like mm-mm. gotta get out of there somehow no yeah absolutely not it's like you could rent it out as an airbnb people like haunted stuff like that like it might be haunted and then you can make your money back that way might be haunted don't sue me <laughs> yeah disclaimer gotta have a disclaimer. might be haunted is y'all's cabin haunted for your honeymoon i hope not it shouldn't be but no. who knows who knows <laughs> that'd be fun haunted airbnb <laughs> yes um yeah did not like the movie what do you think of the movie um it's not like a good movie okay <laughs> <laughs> it's not like it's like oh this movie is so good um but i remember like enjoying watching them because they're like fun to laugh at and like joke around about how like ridiculous they are yeah so i want to see like a serious good possession movie like the exorcist (laughs) that i've never seen the exorcist that one scares me though uh i can't remember if i've seen it i know like there's we have no qualifications to host this podcast (laughs) zero I just watched The Conjuring. Right. And The Exorcist is like, it's supposed to be the scariest movie of all time. And I haven't seen it. My dad, my, I remember my dad telling me that he saw it and it freaked him out. And he remembers like it it's being still scary. considered like the But I feel like movie. I've seen, like I have seen it, parts of it, maybe not all as like a whole. And it wasn't scary. Because maybe like. It's like what, 70s? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Scary things happen on set, though. Yeah, that's true. I think if one is going to scare me, it'll be that one. I don't know. Is Hereditary a possession movie? That one's yeah. That, that one's is serious movie. and seriously scary. Mm-hmm. Okay, we'll say that one. Okay. Do you want a serious, scary possession movie? Watch Hereditary. <laughs> I guess you do not want to recommend that. You I hate that movie. That. All right. Your turn. Should we change gears? We're kind of going in a very different direction. Mm-hmm. I like this. Juxtaposed. Um, realistic horror. Um, I don't know. I'm not going to believe this one. <laughs> this I'll be the really skeptic. Happen. Um, so mine is the Stanford Prison Experiment. <gasps> Scary. Which, you know, some might say that's not a horror movie. And it's not a horror movie in a way. But like it is in other ways. Because it's horrific. Human nature is horrific, to be honest. And that's kind of what this movie exposed and or this whole event exposed. And I know the first time I saw the movie, I like it's just very unsettling. It's a very unsettling feeling. My tummy hurt. Yeah. So let me tell you a little bit about the real story. Let's hear it. Okay. So in the summer of 1971. <gasps> just like when the parents moved in. Yes. It, and we did not. Plan we did that. not plan this. Um, it must be Bathsheba. <laughs> it must be. She's connected. <laughs> She's connected the two. Um, so in the summer of 1971, an ad was placed for volunteers for an undisclosed experiment. Ooh. It's giving fire starter. Yes. 
but it's not at all. Okay. <laughs> 20, <laughs> 24 college-aged men were interviewed and chosen based on their mental and physical stability. Mm-hmm. They were going to be paid $15 a day, and uh, it was supposed to be for two weeks. That's uh, about equivalent of $111 nowadays. A day. To be paid a day. Okay. Mm-hmm. For two weeks. Yes, for two weeks. <laughs> um, no, a day. And That's so, bad. yeah. So the, But they were there the whole time, all day and night. Yes. Okay. So the plan was that they would turn the Stanford, um, a Stanford-like basement hallway into a mock prison. So they divided into three rooms um, with like bars on the doors and had like a isolation room as well. And so they flipped a coin to decide who was going to be the prisoners and who was going to be the guards. So it's fully based on chance. So not science. So, right. I mean, (laughs) it wasn't like they specifically picked people to play based on attributes. It was literally like this is... Okay. Like you're a prisoner, you're a guard based only on this 50-50 chance. Um, so the guy in charge of it was Philip Zambardo, who was born 1933. He was an American psychologist and a tenured professor of psychology at Stanford University. And he conducted this experiment with a government grant from the U.S. Office of Naval Research. Naval? Ooh. Yeah, I don't, I don't okay. really fully understand the he just got the money where he could yeah i think so um it was really they wanted to see they were their goal was to see if environments affect people's behavior or if you're predisposed to a certain behavior that was like the goal i think and um also to kind of see how the prison system is working in a way. Don't you think that like somebody else should do that? Not a psychologist. Well, I, well, I don't not know. Like a college. Like they only picked from this small group. Yeah. There was a, I mean, there I was guess a, it was like an experiment for a bigger experiment that could happen one right. day. I guess. And okay. there was like, I, I'll stop nitpicking their <laughs> hypotheses. Yeah. Um, I forgot what I was going to say. Sorry. That's no, okay. <laughs> Um, yeah, there were a lot of criticisms about it, um, at the end of the day, but this guy really, Philip Zambardo really wanted to see what would happen. All right, Philip. So the guards were given mirrored glasses and all these like khaki uniforms. The mirrored glasses were so that the prisoners couldn't see their eyes. So they could not make eye contact. Okay. Um, the prisoners wore a dress-like smock with a number on it. Uh, they wore a um, hair cap that was supposed to simulate, like, uh, getting their hair buzzed. And then they wore a chain around their leg, which those things were all outdated prison things. Mm-hmm. Like, prisoners don't wear dress smocks Mm-mm. anymore. They did it because they wanted them... To strip away their individuality, they wanted to feminize them. God forbid. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So then they were only to, the prisoners were only to be referred to by their numbers, no names, and that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. 
So, the selected prisoners, they were surprised by cops, real cops, showing up at their houses, places of work, I'm assuming, too, to be arrested. Do you really have to do all that? And then booked. And they booked them for real in, like, a local jail, in the local jail. And then they blindfolded them and transferred them to the Stanford Prison basement hallway. So, um, they had cameras set up and they had, it was being monitored by Philip Zambardo and his like staff. And so on day one, both the prisoners, so both the prisoners and guards were kind of like testing out their roles and the prisoners were kind of trying to maintain that individuality, that like rebelliousness, trying to like push to see what they could get away with. And the guards were also kind of pushing to see what they could get away with in disciplining them. And so, like, it started with, like, they would make them do push-ups. And they would make them stand in line and do counts for hours. And would yell at them. And just, like, it was, like, little things like that. And they were they were kind of not fully taking it seriously at the beginning. But then, so, the... The people in charge were really surprised when on day two, in the early morning, there was a rebellion that immediately started. The prisoners rebelling. So the prisoners barricaded the doors with their beds, stripped uh, off all their their numbers from their things and like threw them out, stripped off their caps. And the, I mean, the guys in charge, Zimbardo, they just like let them you know, let the guards do whatever they said, like do whatever is necessary. Mm -hmm. So the guards called in reinforcements. They used a fire extinguisher through the bars to get the prisoners away from the doors. And then they stripped the prisoners naked and they took their beds, their bedding. And um, they put the ringleader of the rebellion, which was actually prisoner 5401, they put him into solitary confinement. And then they implemented a reward system with good prisoners. They would get privileges. They would get, there would be a room separate. They would send them in there. They would get food. They would get the things that they needed. And then the bad prisoners would get nothing. And it, it started to pin the prisoners against each other. Oh because, and like, that's day two. That was day two. Oh my Literally gosh. day two of this supposed to be two-week experiments um so then only 36 hours in there was a prisoner prisoner 8612 who was starting to suffer from emotional distress and he they pulled him out he was talking to zimbardo who zimbardo um was acting as like the warden the prison warden and so he would talk to them as a prison warden so he was talking to him and stuff and they they sent him back into the into the prison and he started telling all the other prisoners like you can't quit like this is real we can't get out and so it started freaking all the all the prisoners out and then throughout the like night uh prisoner 8612 started screaming and he was crying and he was cursing and he was just going crazy. So they ended up 
releasing him. <laughs> and <laughs> that would definitely be me. They let him go. Um, so then that's the end of day two already. Already lost one. Yep. Day three. They had visitation. So they cleaned up all the prisoners and they, cl- they made them clean up the prison and they played music and they had like snacks for everyone. And the guards would stand watch over the prisoners. And Zimbardo even like convinced like concerned parents that were like, my son looks really tired. Like, is he like, what's going on? Um, he like convinced the the parents believing that their sons had no rights because they were prisoners hmm. and they would they would be like oh well i guess like i should try and find him a lawyer and all this stuff what? and um so then that night there was like there was this escape plot going around that prisoner 8612 who had been released he was going to come back and get everyone out because he had said that he was going to, like, right. rescue them. So um, Zimbardo was kind of also a little bit losing his mind because he was like, he was like, no, that's not going to happen. He called the real police. He tried. He asked if they could move all the prisoners into a real jail. And they were like, no. no. <laughs> because, like, we insurance purposes, yeah. like... Like, there was no way he was, like, he was convinced 8612 was going to come back. And they were, like, oh, well, um, if he comes back, like, we can put him back in prison. Because he was released for the wrong reasons. And Oh, my gosh. So, Zimbardo set up a chair in the hallway. He moved all the prisoners into, like, a closet. And set up a chair in the hallway. And waited all night for 8612 to come back. Of course, 8612 is out in the real world, like, over it by now. And obviously, it was just a rumor that the other prisoners had started. So that was the end of day three. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) So by day four, they bring in a priest, a real, a real priest. Okay. Not just, like, an actor priest. A real priest. A real priest. um, Sat all the prisoners down in front of him. Most of the prisoners introduced themselves by their numbers. Not their names. They would say they're give already them their conditioned. Yes, um, the priest would ask them, "How are you planning to get out? How are you planning to, um, like what ha- have your have your uh, terms been set? Have you seen a judge?" And they're like, they were confused. They're like, "No, I haven't." They're like, "Do you have a lawyer?" They're like. I don't, maybe I could get one. They were, they were really confused. Um, so then there was prisoner 819. And at first he like refused to see the priest. He wanted to see a doctor because he thought he was sick. He thought he, something was wrong with him. He was like crying uncontrollably. So eventually he agreed to go see a priest, but he like couldn't stop crying. And the guards all had the prisoners line up and chant, that eight one prisoner eight one nine did a bad thing, over and over and over, so he could hear them. When Zimbardo he came back and he found eight one nine, like sobbing uncontrollably, saying I'm bad, I'm a I'm bad, I can't like I can't leave because I'm bad, and Zimbardo literally had to like say you 
are not 819. You are not a prisoner. This isn't a prison. Like, you can go home. And oh as soon as he gosh. said you can go home, he was like, okay. <laughs> and he was right, like, fine. Right. Uh-huh. And he left. Um, and and I also that day, they did like a parole board. So they had them they come like before. Doing too much. Yeah. Like, this isn't how exciting prison is, I don't think. I think y'all just like do your little thing. I, yeah, no, it doesn't work this way. <laughs> I don't even think it worked this way in the 70s. Um, but he had the prisoners come forward and plead for their release for what yeah and they asked them if they would be willing to forfeit their earnings to be released and all of them said yes oh my gosh they just wanted to get out they just wanted to get out that's all they cared about um because over this time i mean the guards were were just being increasingly hostile they would um just not let them sleep they'd wake them up in the middle of the night and they would make them do menial tasks. They would make them clean toilets with their hands. They would constantly make them do push-ups and make and they would stand on their the guards would stand on their backs. They would make other prisoners like stand on, the, on their backs. And um they started getting really perverse in the things that they would do. And over there was one overnight shift this was between days five and six there was an overnight shift where they tried to um they tried to like cover the cameras and get away with other things and that's when they decided to on day six zimbardo terminated the experiment and he said himself that he was becoming the role of prison he was also becoming the role of prison all of these guys deserve an oscar yeah (laughs) yeah they all they all method acting yeah they all like became their role without question the prisoners became more submissive the guards became more um harsh and the guards would often agree to stay late or come in early without they love extra pay they were they were living for it there was one guard in particular that they called john wayne because he really became this persona and was like really very creative in in his um the things that he made the prisoners do torture yeah pretty much um so the movie they did they did like a documentary on it and it inspired a few other movies, but the main movie that came out uh, came out in 2015. It was an IFC film directed by Kyle Patrick Alvarez, and it was written mostly. It was written by someone, obviously like a screenwriter, but uh, Philip Zim- Philip <laughs> Philip Zimbardo like wrote a lot of it and worked very closely with them. Wow. On it. But it paints him in a horrible light. It does. And he, I mean, he admits to the way it changed him. Wow. The way he was also like part of the experiments without thinking that that would, yeah, that would be it. Um, so it starred Billy Crudup, Ezra Miller, Ty Sheridan, Michael Angarano, uh, and Nicholas Braun. So we have two Sky High alums yeah, <laughs> in I was, there. I was like, ah, Sky High. Yeah. I love that. Um, it really did follow very closely 
to the actual events. And they added a few, like, a little exciting things, like Prisoner 8612, who's played by Ezra Miller, and Prisoner 819, played by Ty Sheridan. They were, like, in the movie, they were more the leaders in it a little bit. Um, Inspired. Yeah, and then they they added, like, them actually, uh, two of the characters actually breaking out of prison and, you know, being put back in. Um, And, but honestly, I think the the movie could have dived even deeper into the emotional distress because the way it's described in, you know, like the real life events, it seems a lot more, they were a lot more angry. They're a lot more sad and emotional than they showed actually in the movie. But overall, I think the acting and this was very good yeah (laughs) we watched it together um in preparation for this it was Mm -hmm. the first time i saw it and i was really like this was real like the whole time i was like are you freaking kidding me and the movie is like it is weird because it's like it is a little slow but But at the same time it's just so it's very subtle everything that's done is very subtle that's built up into this like horrific thing that's happening i think they do an amazing job of packing in this obviously it sounds like a whirlwind of six days Mm -hmm. but when you said they had visitation on day three yeah i was like that felt like three months into yeah like because of the movie but it's the way it makes it seem yeah but it's literally six days and they had no idea what day it was they they didn't they had no idea they lost track of all time like that's they thought they had they had they would like swap stories about they would talk about like prison life. They got to a point where they they weren't like at the beginning they were talking a little about their life outside, but then the, they monitoring the prisoners. They were talking about life in prison and how it could be different and what you know as if they were actual prisoners. Wow. Do you think it um, was a success- <laughs> successful? In some ways, like I think Zimbardo thought it proved that the environment is what altered behavior okay um because i think from his own experience he was like my behavior was altered based on this environment um but also i don't know i think because the other question was does it attract does like with something like this being a guard attract people who are predisposed to have a violent nature and want to be in charge, like want to be in control. Control. I say yes. Connects back from to my own personal experience. I say yes. <laughs> yeah. So they didn't even need to do that. They should have just asked me. Right. They should have just asked you. you, and Emily would have known. Yeah. Why do they need to do this? I don't know. They would you ever did it wrong? Yeah. Would I do what? Would you ever do an experiment? This experiment. Oh, I signed up for one in college because I was so broke. But, uh, and I went to like the whole thing, like they drew blood and all that stuff. What was it? But I don't even remember. I don't remember. Was it the, pr- <laughs> the, the, heck if I know. I just, need, I know I needed to be there at like 530, one of the mornings. And I feel so bad because <laughs> it was like five o'clock in the morning. So you wouldn't have really, and, no, they were texting up. me like, where are you? Where are you? And I was like, I mis- I did not show up. No, I was asleep. <laughs> I was like, sorry. Like they really put effort into. Would you have rather been? A prisoner or a guard? Mm, I'd be a nice guard. 
be a nice guard. Mm-hmm. They did have some, I mean, they did, their guards weren't all horrible. They did have some guards that were like, would try to help the prisoners. Um, and stuff like, like Rico that. from Hannah Montana, who's in it? Yes, he was not. He wasn't that. He was a mid guard. Yeah. Moises Arias. Moises Arias. He was in this movie. He was mid bad. Yeah. Halfway bad. But um, the main guy from Sky High, he played the John, John Wayne, Wayne type uh, guard. He was I would so run good, him though. over with my he car forward so and backwards if I could. My like at the very end they have of the movie, they have prisoner eight six one nine who was played by Ezra Miller, and um the John Wayne guard talking, and they they were saying he was like I the John Wayne guard was like I couldn't believe what people were letting me get away with. He's like I just kept doing it and people just let me do it. And Ezra Miller Miller was like, but why would you do that? And he was like, wouldn't you do the same thing? Like, you don't know what you would do in this situation. And he was like, I don't think I would. And he's like, but you don't know. So, and that's kind of like the whole premise. I think you never know. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's funny at the end. They're like, no emotional distress. Yeah. Was no permanent damages, you know, put on the prisoners or whatever. Was done, but. I'm sure know. they still think back and are like, oh, remember traumatized. When I was in that experiment that was horrible. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. crazy. Yeah, so you can see like there's real pictures of it. There's real audio clips and videos from it. I don't think I can. I'm getting chills right now. I mean, it looks so the same terrifying. as it looks the same as the movie. It's like, why would you do that? I don't know. Yeah, but it ap- apparently in some ways it helps the prison system. Uh, they got flat screen TVs now. Yeah, because of this. <laughs> <laughs> Exactly. And they can watch this movie on... They don't have to wear dresses anymore? They don't have to oh, wear dresses. Wait. They weren't to begin with. They don't have to wear caps. Oh, wait. Uh, they don't they have to have chains around, around their oh, legs. Oh, wait. They get to go outside? Oh, wait. They could already. Yeah. They didn't even let them go outside. They mm-hmm. literally treated them worse than, like... It I was mean, like... I'm not going to say that. Never mind. Cut it. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what prison is like. <laughs> but, I mean, I don't know. I think there was... I'm, I don't know. It wasn't good. I don't know anything about prison. But apparently, I mean, apparently is what they say that it did help somehow with the, like, learning more about the psychological dynamics of prison and helped somehow. All right. You could have so, just talked to a prisoner, but all right. Yeah. I think so. Or just go to a prison. Right. Just observe a prison. <laughs> well, let's make one. Anyways, it was very interesting. It's a very interesting movie. It's very like ugh, I recommend kind of like the movie if you just like a creepy if you horror. like a um I don't want to say thriller. Like I don't know what it is. It's it's weird because it's not it's thrilling. psychological for sure. Um it's not like jumps there's no jump scares. It's psychological horror? Is that a thing? Yeah. To me it's, it's just it's the, thriller. the subtle horror moments because it's just like human behavior is just horrifying so yeah agreed yeah on that light note (laughs) on that light note we're gonna end we're gonna end we're done we're done talking i would love to do another one of these like i said give me some examples i will not watch any more conjuring i don't know should i do it annabelle (laughs) okay i'll do annabelle you convince you convince me me. (laughs) no what's another one that i want to do Hmm. Hmm. maybe the exorcist is that a based off a true story i think so Mm-hmm. Okay. What yeah. about The Shining? 
No, I just want to watch it again. <laughs> I just want an excuse to watch The Shining again. Um, I love that. Yeah. We'll do another one. Yeah, I think. Don't worry, guys. We'll yeah, do another don't, one. Don't worry. But let us know, for real, if you kind of like this different formats. I liked it. it rem- I felt like I was like Bailey Syrian a little bit because I'm just giving you the facts. Yeah. It's like you're in school. It's like we're lecture. It's like we're teachers. I'm a teacher. Is that your... Is that, it's my teacher face. Is that how you act as a teacher? No. I'm a teacher. Ask my students. No. Anyway. Anyway. <laughs> hope you guys enjoyed and I hope that you will continue to watch us or listen to us mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. you can subscribe to us on YouTube. At Slash and Slate Pond. Yes. And you can follow us on Instagram. At Slash and Slate Pond. Or on TikTok. At Slash and Slate Pod. And join us next week as we discuss something Exciting. else. Watch on Instagram because we'll tell you yeah. beforehand, maybe. Yeah. Interact with us on Instagram. We're all over that, that place. We're all over that place. Love you guys. Love you guys. Bye. Bye.